Jesus or Barabbas? What must it have been like for Jesus to physically take the place of Barabbas on the cross? What would it have been like to be Barabbas and understand that this man was physically about to take your place on the cross that you know you deserve? Physically, that was Barabbas's cross that Jesus carried. Physically, it was the weight of Barabbas's sin that Jesus carried. It was the punishment that was supposed to be for Barabbas. But spiritually, it was my cross that he carried. Spiritually, it was the punishment of my sin that he bore down that road and up that hill. Spiritually, it was my grave that Jesus laid in rest for three days. He took my place on a cross on Calvary's hill. There is only one system of faith, only one thought process, who, one Savior who refused to allow me to be separated from relationship with him for all eternity. See, the, the empty tomb, the resurrection, this Easter Sunday is the evidence that we serve the right Savior, that we have put our faith in the right place. No other system of faith, no other relationship, no other religion has a God who is willing to make himself a little lower than the angels and be obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Prophesy how he would die and when he would raise again. The difference between Jesus and Barabbas is that Barabbas is still dead, but my Savior lives. And his name. How could an illegitimate son of a carpenter turn a shameful Roman cross into a sign of salvation for all the ages unless he be the son of God? Last week we left off in Luke chapter 19. Jesus was entering into the city coming down off the Mount of Olives where he preached the longest and yet the greatest sermon ever. He came into that city and people were so excited that he was on the way that they ran out of Jerusalem with palm leaves and they would take off their jackets and they threw their jackets and their cloaks on the ground so that the donkey didn't get his feet dirty. Who cares? See, people praise crazy when they realize that their Messiah is in the house. They can't contain the praise when they remember who they were not because of who he is. And the people began to shout and they began to cry out, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. What they were saying is Emmanuel, God has come to be with us. And the Pharisees, the religiously arrogant people who compared themselves to others and felt better about their sin than they should, began to shout at Jesus, make them stop. Make them stop praising you. And Jesus said, if I make them stop singing, if I make them stop praising, 
then the stones will begin to shout in their place. Now, this is a, a beautiful parade. I mean, they had to put out extra chairs upon his entrance. And all of a sudden, in the middle of this celebration, in the middle of their praises, verse 41 of Luke chapter 19, the very next verse where Jesus said, if I silence them, then the stones will cry out. Verse 41 says, and when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. Now, I've been to some parades. I've been to some Cajun parades. I have seen people riding on the top of a modern day donkey, also known as a Corvette. <laughs> and I have seen them waving at the praise of the people who really just wanted somebody to put their hand out of the air, stick it in that bag, and throw some candy on that sidewalk. We're not here for you. We're here for what you have. Is that not the same thing that we do for Jesus? Wouldn't it be odd if in the middle of the parade, there was one person on top of the vehicle where everybody else was praising and singing and shouting and clapping and having a good time, and this person just came through weeping and crying. It would make me mad. I would probably shout at the person crying, stop crying and throw my children candy. <laughs> I didn't come for you to cry. I came for candy. <laughs> what an odd response for Jesus to have to their praise. We see in verse 44 why Jesus began to weep as he speaks to the people. And he says, they, your enemies, will not leave one stone upon another in you, Jerusalem and the people of God. What he's saying is, because of the decisions that you have made to this point and will continue to make, you will be utterly destroyed. Because, why? Because you did not know the time of your visitation. Because you, you came to another Easter service and you sat through another sermon and yet you left unchanged. Because you were standing in the presence of the only begotten son of an eternal God who was ready to save your soul and set you free. And yet you decided to go out and continue in the life that you were living instead of surrendering to the life that he has already lived. Why did Jesus weep? Because he knew that those people were going to have to go through devastation before they ever got to their destiny. Why did Jesus weep? Because he saw the potential of that city. He remembered the glory of the days of David. He saw him establishing the new Jerusalem in the book of Revelation that we now read about. And yet we still struggle to believe in. He looked down upon that hill, and I believe that day he wanted to save the city, but he understood that they would rather have their rebellion than his repentance, and he wept. 
He wept because he saw himself betrayed in the garden by one of his own followers over finances. He saw the choice of the people in Pilate's courtyard. He saw himself endure the Roman flogging and the cat of nine tails. He saw himself carrying the cross and being nailed to it. And he saw his family members and his final followers, the faithful few, taking his body down off of that cross at the end of that day and wrapping it. And it wasn't laid in a manger. It was laid in a cold, dark tomb. While all of the world shook and the earth would quake. Is it possible that Jesus saw what Ezekiel referred to as the young lion that came out of Europe, now referred to as America. Is it possible that Jesus looked down from that hill and saw America renouncing their biblical worldview? Is it possible that he saw America begin to call immature and outdated what Scripture calls moral and absolutely true? The question that hovered over the people that day is the same question that hovers over us today. Which crowd will we follow and who will I choose? Matthew chapter 27. Pilate sat on his earthly throne as a Roman governor. The Bible says in verse 15, it was his custom each year during the Passover celebration to release one prisoner to the crowd. Surely the mother of Jesus sat in anticipation, understanding what should happen on that Passover. Surely she thought some of these same people that were praising him on the hill a minute ago will begin to cry his name again just because the crowd has changed. Surely they haven't changed their mind. Just because the atmosphere isn't conducive for them to cry out to him, surely they will continue to cry out even when the atmosphere is not conducive any longer. It's possible. They could have anyone they wanted. Verse 16 says, This year there was a notorious prisoner named Barabbas. And as the crowds gathered before Pilate's house that morning, he asked them, Which one do you want me to release to you? Barabbas? Or Jesus, who is called the Messiah. See, there is a difference between knowing that he is called the Messiah and confessing him as your Messiah. Pilate knew that he was to be called the Messiah, but he was not willing to personally deny himself, take up his cross, and confess him. As his Messiah. If you can go with me into this scene, Pilate in his throne, his bride, his wife sitting next to him, she leans over and whispers, Have nothing to do with this righteous man, for I have been tormented over him in a dream. One version says, In a nightmare. Hear me, hear me. When people that are not living for God, begin to hear the voice of God on your behalf, this is a final warning from the Holy Spirit. And I always recommend adhering to the warnings because God, hear me, God will always give a warning before he pours out his wrath, but his wrath is always on the way. 
He does not want to pour out his wrath. He would rather that we respond to his warning. Pharisees went to and fro about the people. Caiaphas, the priest, and his little minions would go and whisper into the ears, ears of the people, choose Barabbas, 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 not Jesus, Barabbas. The same voices that whisper into our ears when nobody else is around, choose yourself, choose Barabbas, choose your desires, choose your fallenness. That preacher doesn't know what he's talking about. That church doesn't really care about you. Is there even really a God? Pick Barabbas. Verse 21, with all of this going on, the governor asked again. He ignored all of the warnings. And he asked his question, which of these two do you want me to release to you? And the crowd shouted back, Barabbas. Yeah, Bar Barabbas, give us Barabbas. Today, we have that same choice. As Pastor Judah Smith portrayed, why is Barabbas even in this story? Like, why is Barabbas even an option? Why would the people even consider choosing Barabbas, a rebel, a liar, a murderer, a sinful and evil man over Jesus? How is this even a choice? What did Jesus do but trade his title for a towel and wash the feet of dirty people? What did Jesus do but heal the sick and raise the dead? What did Jesus do but give bread to the hungry and water to the thirsty? Why is he even in this position? Because he positioned himself in this position so that he could pay the price in the place of Barabbas. Barabbas has been dead for over 2,000 years, but the spirit in which he operated is alive and well in this culture and society and unfortunately, even in this room, if we allow him to be. The choice they had that day in Pilate's courtyard is the same choice that you and I have in this moment. See, our culture is making a choice on who to follow. Politicians and professors, even some preachers, advocate for progression and tolerance over conviction and truth. There is a blur in the lines of absolute morality. The Bible has been removed as a viable source of school curriculum. So God gave a vision to this church to plant Eunice Christian Academy and restore God's word back to its proper place where it got into the hearts of the children first so a generation could be redeemed. Just last week, a journalist mocked a God-fearing politician for wanting to keep elections from taking place on Sunday because of all of the thousands of people, perhaps millions of people in the United States who follow the example of the disciples according to the book of Acts and continue to gather in services physically and online on the first day of the week prayer to the one true God in the name of Jesus is being forced into the same category as the dead gods of Allah and Buddha. Just last night as I was putting my shoes on to come to 
our first resurrection weekend service is Saturday night. And we, we had almost 200 people here on a Saturday night coming to service. A lot of them came last night so that they could serve you today. That's how much this church loves you. As I was putting on my shoes, I looked up and on the screen was an advertisement for a teacher, a coach who had been fired from his school because he was not willing to not pray on bended knee on an open field in front of other people. Give us Barabbas! They shout from Planned Parenthood clinics as a baby in a womb is now just referred to as a fetus in an attempt to justify genocide of millions of babies in our nation alone. I'd rather have my dreams than their destinies. Give us Barabbas. Families are being torn apart in the name of convenience. A sinful separation of meeting somebody else, the breaking of covenant, and a distorted view of true love. We think it's a feeling because that's how Hollywood defined it. But according to God's word, it's a commitment that's followed by an action that remains the same no matter how much the person changes. Men are emasculated. And the virtuous Proverbs 31 woman is seen as conforming and weak. Confusion has so saturated our society that the line of which restroom a biological male or a biological female should stand in has now become a topic of divergence and discussion. And if you believe that God created a male and female, then you're a bigot and you're intolerant. Washington, Hollywood, mainstream media, music icons, and their industry want my children to believe that gender affiliation is a choice, but gender attraction is chosen for you. And my God said just the opposite. The noise around us is deafening, but the speech of all of those who deny his word, it remains the same and it can be distilled into three simple phrases. Give us Barabbas. Give us his lifestyle. Give us his mansion on a hilltop. Give us his worldview. Give us his rebellion. Give us his dishonor for parents and authority figures. Give me what I want when I want it. I'm entitled to it. I deserve it. Who is this Jesus in this generation? Who is this Jesus that I should choose his cross over my preference? Give us Barabbas. We want him as a role model. Disrespectful, dishonorable, unlawful, unholy. He is the news anchor pushing a godless agenda, ridiculing righteousness and molding public opinion with blasphemous propaganda. He is the legislation coming out of Congress at the national and the state level that validates immorality such as pornography and prostitution, which is ravaging our young people and the integrity of men and women alike as we continue to serve him in the secrecy of the same altars that abolished Sodom and Gomorrah. Give us Barabbas, his impurity and arrogance, his love of money, his position and his possessions. Oh, they're chiefly influential, even for some of the people sitting in this room today as we follow him on Instagram and Facebook and we take screenshots of his Snapchat and we share his spirit for him. Barabbas, oh, just as it was in Pilate's courtyard 2,000 years ago, is still in demand today. 
He's in demand on the college campuses and the corporate offices and dare I say even some churches and churchgoers. He's in demand for religious leaders. Even though they're well versed on scripture, they would rather twist it to fit their desires than they would crucify themselves to follow his. They, the religious people, the ones who knew Jesus, they are the ones that committed the supreme act of betrayal on that day. They are the ones that refused to relinquish their authority for his. As if what the church has to say carries more authority than what God has already said. Today, their constituents are sharing the same message, redefining salvation as if God Almighty now grades on a curve, extending God's grace and mercy into tolerance and a license to sin. An all-inclusive teaching, Unitarianism, secular humanism claiming that all roads lead to God and all roads lead to heaven. And all you have to do is be a better person or practice these specific traditions and you too can go there. Equally unbiblical ideas of some place that exists between here and heaven that my soul has to go after it leaves my body as if the blood of Jesus were not enough to cleanse me completely while I was still here on earth. Give us Barabbas. Barabbas. Yeah, yeah. We want Barabbas. He makes me feel better about myself. Ancient manuscripts give us the full name of Barabbas. His full name? Yeshua. Bar Abba. Barabbas' name in English was Jesus Barabbas. Literally translated for that day, the son of the father. See, the enemy will always offer a counterfeit to God's conviction. He will always offer a choice that looks really close to the original and the authentic, but it bears the power of the resurrection. That day, there were those in the crowd, just as today, there remain a small, but powerful remnant. See, Jesus, he always has his voices. The good news is, no matter how loud the crowd may become, those who follow Christ can continue to confess. And my God will always have his faithful few. He will always have those who are willing to follow Jesus into the courtyard, down the Via Della Rosa, up the hill of Golgotha, and carry his cross, denying himself, following him step by step as he ordains the way, even when it doesn't look so good. There are still those who are hungering and thirsting for righteousness for his name's sake. Just as in the days of Elijah the prophet, there are still those who have not bowed their knee to the gods of Asherah, Baal, Molech, and Barabbas. There are still some who are saying no to a cancel culture, no to a culture of tolerance. There are still some who are faithful to forsake it all 
to follow him. There are still some who are not shouting unto Barabbas. In the courtyard that day was Mary, the mother of Jesus, faint, weary. She'd watched her son be beaten. The only begotten placed in the womb by the Holy Spirit himself. She remembered the day that she conceived. She remembered the day that the choirs of angels would sing over Hosanna. She remembered the day that she forgot him in the temple. You ever forgot your kid? <laughs> That's my bad. That's my bad. I didn't tell you, but now you know. So. She forgot him. She turned around and she came back and he looked at her with the same eyes that now stood down looking upon the crowd and he said, Mama, did you not know that I would be in my father's house? For I will always be about my master's business. She stood in the crowd that day, shocked, confounded, confused, Barabbas. After all that he's done, Barabbas? No, no, not Jesus. Give us Jesus. John, John, yell, yell, tell him Jesus. John would begin to cry out. No, no, not Barabbas. Jesus, give us Jesus. But the crowd would shout all the more. And John refused to relent all the way up the hill. Give me Jesus, shouted the few who, like the Hebrew boys, refused to bow. I don't want the counterfeit that the enemy has to offer. I don't want the temporary pleasure of the fallenness on this earth. Give me the living word of God, the one who gave his life so I could live it in abundance. Give me the mediator, the one who bridged the gap between God and man, who offered me relationship when everybody else had rebelled. Give me the lamb that was slain and the lion of the tribe of Judah. Give me the one who was and is and shall always be everlasting to everlasting, King of kings and Lord of lords. Give me Jesus, the eternal Christ, the one who pre-existed the earth as we know it today, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, the author and the perfecter of my faith. Give me the one who spoke out of the burning bush with a voice to Moses and told him, you go tell Pharaoh that my people have to be let go. And as the fire continued to burn, the bush was not consumed. Give me the fourth man in the fire with those three boys who refused to bow. Give me the one who closed the mouths of the lions and then allowed Daniel to take a nap when he should have been doomed. who carried my cross for me the one who stretched out his arms on Calvary when everybody else folded their arms and ran give me Jesus the one who died on the hill where Lucifer lost the one where my condemnation is lifted off of me as long as I abide in him 
where my death sentence was revoked and my sin was atoned. And Genesis 3:15 and 16 came alive and Satan's head was crushed even though he tried to strike his heel. Give me the resurrected Savior, the Christ of the empty tomb. What faith have we without the resurrection? But because of the resurrection, we know we can believe. Give me the one who met the devil on his turf and won the victory. Give me Jesus who loosened the curse of death and overcame its grave. As the gospel preacher said, death couldn't hold him, hell couldn't have him, and the grave couldn't keep him. Give me the stirring in the sand. Give me the forgiving Jesus. The one who got down in the dirt with the woman caught in the act of adultery. Everybody else wanted to stone her, but he wanted to save her. Give me the Savior that met the woman at the well that nobody else wanted to be around. She couldn't have gotten credentials in the assemblies of God. She wouldn't have fit into most doctrines, but Jesus saw her potential and gave her a destiny outside of anybody's doctrine. Oh, give me the one who was hanging on the cross lifted himself up on the nails just to take a breath so that he could prophesy over all creation. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Give me the healing, Jesus. The one who Isaiah prophesied would bear my burden. The one who would be pierced for my transgressions crushed for my iniquities and the bruising on the inside and the open wounds on the outside would be the evidence of my healing on the inside and the outside. Give me the great physician, the one who cast out the demons, who raised a four-day-old dead man, who spoke just one word to a centurion's son. Give me the one who told the leper, I will heal you. I am willing and I can. Give me Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. Give me the baptizing Christ. See, I missed this one for most of my life. Give me the one who John came from the wilderness proclaiming would come after him and baptize in the Holy Spirit and fire. Give me the Jesus who said, I'm going to send a comforter to come alongside of you. Give me the Jesus who told his followers to tarry in his presence until they were endued with power from on high. Because when the power comes, they will be able to live as an example of who he is, whether the atmosphere is conducive or not. The Holy Spirit's baptism is proof that the Lord still occupies the throne and intercedes on our behalf. 
Oh, come on, give me the ascended Christ, the one who is seated at the right hand of the Father today, the one who is my high priest once and for all, the mediator, the gap bridger, the one who gives me power, that whatever I bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever I loose on earth shall be loosened in heaven. Give me the conquering Christ, the one who conquers my fear with his faith, my sorrow with his joy, my sickness with his health, my lack with his abundance, my poverty with his purpose, my weakness with his strength, who with a voice like the sound of many rushing waters calls every knee to bow and every tongue to confess that he now you've heard the sermons you've attended the Easter's maybe it's your first time or the first time in a long time but today right now the Holy Spirit is showing you the choice don't be part of the crowd that refused to acknowledge the presence of Christ Jesus or Barabbas Jesus or myself, Jesus or this world, 
Jesus or the enemy, the choice is simple. It shouldn't even be a decision, but he loves us so much that he laid himself down in the way of our sin so that we would look to him and no longer continue in it. If today, this Easter Resurrection Sunday, you need to give your life to Jesus. You need to become a follower and not just a fan. If that's you, you need to confess him as Lord and receive salvation today. I want to invite you right now to open up your hands right where you are. You can lift them or you can just open them. This is a posture of surrender. It is what is required in order to receive. Right now, I want to invite you to begin to ask for forgiveness for the areas of your life where you've fallen, where you looked more like Barabbas than you did Jesus. It was your cross that he carried. It was the weight of your sin that he bore on that cross. It was your grave that he laid in, but come on, it was your resurrection that he exemplified. Would you receive him today? If that's you and you need to pray, you need to receive salvation. I'm going to ask the church to join me and pray loud right now so that anybody in the room or watching online live or later would be willing to pray out loud. If that's you, pray with me right now. Open your mouth and confess him as Lord. Let's say it together. Jesus, I call upon your name. Forgive me for the times I chose wrongly. I sinned, I've fallen, I was disobedient. I believe you died on the cross. You shed your blood so I could be saved. My sin forgiven. You rose from the dead so I could be born again, resurrected to new life. All things pass away. All things become new. I choose you my life. Make it yours. I surrender all. May I follow you with all of my heart from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, church. Can you praise God today?